0: I'm curious how many of you, whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, um, you had a TV in your house once upon a time that looked like this one up here. You guys have this? Okay, now for me, I mean I, I grew up in the 80s and in the 90s. So I think my parents might have had this TV like as the backup, but my grandparents always had this TV. Uh, in particular, I think my my dad's folks had this exact TV in their camper at the lake all the time. Now my my mom's folks, they were always a little more cutting edge, and so they bought, which my grandma still has to this day, an old Magnavox, remember that brand? This thing is in a wooden frame, it weighs about 900 pounds, takes four people to move it just so you can plug it in, and she still has it. I think the remote control has like eight buttons, the numbers aren't even on there. But TVs like this one we would have, there's a little dial on it if you're too young to remember these, and you would stick these rabbit ears off the back to try and get reception. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, we would be at the lake, and my papa would give me the important job of being the one to adjust the antennas, to adjust the rabbit ears. And, and so I would be back behind the TV, and I would be moving these, and it would go, no, nope, no, nope, more to the right, nope, too far, back to the left, no a little forward, no, stop, don't move. So I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm like, how long is the show? You know, I <laughs> I thought it was an important job. Like, I really felt special until I realized later, no, I don't get to watch the show. Like, my job is just to make sure he can watch the show. But that's how that worked, right? If you remember ears, I'm convinced, that was nothing more than just magic. There's no science or logic behind how those worked. Every day you had to reposition them. If the wind changed or the humidity changed or the temperature changed... You know, the the, the picture would get fuzzy. Sometimes, in fact, you would have to break out the secret weapon. Remember this? Yeah, we weren't baking potatoes with these. No, you would take this and wrap it between the rabbit ears or, or, you know, wad it up in a ball and put it on the end or maybe do some origami and make a swan and like you'd get the perfect reception that way, right? What do we have today? Well, here's a baseball game in high definition on a device that fits in my pocket. I can watch this live instead of preaching, so give me a couple minutes and we'll see what what Pennsylvania does here in this Little League World Series game, right? That's what we have today. And I can get high definition on this device so long as what? I'm connected, or close at least, to a good, solid connection. We think about this because that's kind of a, a good metaphor, if you will, for understanding our place in life. Like, how many of you, let's just ask the question, maybe you're there right now, or maybe this has been something that you've dealt with in your past, how many of you have struggled to figure out what God has in store for your life? Anybody? Should be most of us raising our hands. Like, maybe it's not even the big picture, maybe it's the little details, but we struggle to figure out what God has in store for our lives. And all of us, whether you're really... Deeply spiritually connected to God or not, I think this is all something that all of us think about and talk about. We all talk about what the plan is. I mean, we ask little kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? I can ask my my daughters that. My 10-year-old says she wants to be a marine biologist, or at least she did, until she realized that she has to go live out by the ocean. Like, she wanted to be a marine biologist in Kansas. Like, I got something to tell you, okay? I'm sorry. Sorry to break it to you. My middle one wants to be a teacher, but she doesn't want to go to college. So if anybody knows how to become a teacher without going to college, let me know so I can pass it on to her. Uh, Titus, my youngest, wants to go to Mars, so I'm assuming that means he wants to be an astronaut. We'll see how that goes. He's pretty determined. That, That might actually happen one of these days. We ask this of kids, but we ask this of older kids too. We're getting ready to to start school again. Kids going into their senior years. What's the plan? What's next? What do you want to major in? Where are you going to go to college? What's what's the plan you have for your life? We ask these questions. And, And we ask this because if you believe in God, you understand this truth. We have a plan. In fact, it says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are God's handiwork. That's what Paul writes, that we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do so. What it's telling us is that, that before God created us, he had a plan for us. He had a, a, a path for us, for us to follow, and that, that he created us for that specific task. And this goes beyond even just those who, who have a faith in Jesus, Everybody's trying to figure this out. Maybe you use the phrase like like me me saying God's will or God's plan seems weird to you. But some people say, well, what's, what's the world have in store for me? What's the universe have in store for me? And we use things like horoscopes or or we read tea leaves or we listen to fortune tellers. Sometimes I think we even let our food talk to us. Like anybody ever got a message like this? Where's that that next next one up here? Ever got a message like this? I've heard about people who will just say, I've got such faith in God that, you know what? I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm just going to open the Bible. And God, whatever verse pops up, you speak to me through that verse. Uh, Let's see here. Let's go. Um, If the Lord of heaven's armies have not spared a few of us, then we would be wiped out like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me there in Isaiah chapter 1? Like, we just blindly follow, right? Right? But it's because we're all trying to figure something out. What does God have in store for me? We're starting this brand new teaching series today, uh, simply called Finding God's Will in Your Life. And and this is a a series that we're going to start today. It's going to go over the next four weeks as well. And let me just tell you this. If you showed up today and you heard me say this, and you're like, dude, this is perfect. I need to know this. I've got a buddy I've been talking to, and he's like, I don't know what God wants in store for me next. I'm like, great, be here Sunday. We're going to talk about this. Let me just let the cat out of the bag right now. If you're here, like, man, I, I can't wait for this. Here's the big secret. What is God's will for your life and how do you find it? Show up the next four weeks. <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's the bait and switch. That's what we do, right? No, because what we're going to do today, I'm just going to give you an overview. This is a little different approach today. I'm setting up the rest of the series today. The next three weeks, we're going to take three, what I think are very valuable daily practices that we need to put into our lives so that we can start to hear God better. Because let me just tell you, we talk about hearing God. I have never audibly heard God's voice. I've never had that burning bush moment where God has spoken and it has been very clear to me. No, I need the flashing neon sign. And I don't get that. Like you, you probably want the same thing. I don't get that. I've never felt God actually grab my arm and lead me down a path like we might lead each other in a dark way. I've had to rely on how God has utilized what he's given me and who he's put into my life. So we're going to talk about that over the next three weeks, and then I'll come back at the end and tie it all together. How do we very practically put all this together so that we can figure this out? What I want to do today is, again, just kind of give an overview of what God's will is all about. So we're going to talk about three what we call kind of basic foundations to help you understand what God's will for your life is. Here's the first foundation about God's will. His will can be found. I know too often we'll hear people talk about God's will. Like, I just, if he wanted me to know it, he would make it obvious. And and I wish that was the case. But people often will give up because it's not so obvious. So like, well, obviously he doesn't want me to know what it is. Because otherwise he would make it clear to me. But his will can be found. Here's why. God is a good father. He's referred to in scripture as our father. And like any good father, he wants you to hear from him. Okay? Uh, I've got three kids. There's times I feel like a good dad. Times I don't feel like a good dad. But those days when I do feel like a good dad, I want my kids to hear from me. I want to be involved with them. I want them to know there's good things in front of them. I want them to know that what I'm doing is for their benefit and and for the best for them. Psalm 143, David prays a prayer and he prays this, teach me to do your will for you are my God. May your spirit lead me on level ground. David, if you don't know, David is the king, He's, he's, he's the second king of Israel, he's this mighty warrior, this amazing leader. David had some of the highest highs. David also had some of the lowest lows. And his lows were often self-inflicted. But I love how he phrases this because here's David, a man who probably had more power than anybody on earth, telling God, teach me to do what you want me to do. And then he goes on to say, may your spirit lead me to stand on level ground. David understood something as a military leader. You needed to get on high ground, on top of the mountain, so you could get a good vantage point of where you were going. We think about this. When we're trying to figure out what we want to do, we want to see what's coming. We want to know what's out there. But David says, no, put me on level ground. Because I don't want to try to control this. I want you, Father, to be in control. The New Testament talks about this as well, too. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossians in his introductory prayer to them. He says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. I'll be honest, this is a prayer that I pray over you all a lot. That if I were to write a letter to you, I would probably write something similar to this. I want every one of you at at crossroads to know what God has in store for you so we as a church can know what God has in store for us so that we can live to the fullness of what he has out there for us. That's what Paul prays. Now, think about this. If if God's will couldn't be found, why would David pray this and why would Paul pray this? And moreover, why would Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, include these words in Matthew 6, your will be done. We read the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God has a will for you. He wants you to know what it is. And in fact, I would go a step further and say, God wants you to know his will even more than you want to know it. I, I tell, try and explain this to my 10-year-old who overthinks everything. No idea where she gets it, but she overthinks and overanalyzes everything. Say, Elsie, we actually want really good things for you even more than you do. That doesn't click with her yet. And as a a parent, I get it now. I didn't get it when I was a kid that my parents wanted better things for me than I wanted for myself. God has a will for you, and it can be found. Here's the second kind of principle or foundation to understand about his will. His will is good. His will is good. I think there's this misconception, especially if you are here and you're just not fully plugged in. Say you're here, you're visiting, you're online, you're watching... You come to church some, but you're just not fully plugged in. You may say, well, you know, I'd love to, but man, it just doesn't sound that fun. Being a Christian doesn't sound that exciting. And I think there's this idea that God's like this cosmic killjoy. You know, you hear that phrase, you know, God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. And yes, that's true. But God isn't the kind who's just up there waiting to press the no button every time you ask a question. I love parks and recreation, and I love Ron Swanson. If you've ever seen the show, one of Ron's great quotes is, "I love saying no. It lowers everybody's enthusiasm." That's not God, okay? Like he's not just waiting to tell us we can't do this, right? No, he wants us to to, to live a life that is full of joy, that is full of of just life in general. See, I think sometimes I. I think of God like I think of myself as a father again going back to this idea that some days I'm a good dad and some days I'm not those days I'm not a good dad are those days I get onto my kids for being kids go be loud somewhere else go play in the other room go to your grandparents I don't want you here right now don't you dare judge me because I know I'm not the only one who has said these things okay (laughs) I know that's not the case No, we have those days. Last night, we went to eat dinner for Elsie's birthday. Her birthday was a couple weeks ago. We finally had a chance to go eat for it. It was about a 20-minute drive home. And I think Jennifer and I lost count on how many times Titus said, Hey, Mom, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was probably at least 50. Hey, Mom. Hey, Mom. And at one point, he finally goes, Hey, Mom, are you listening? And she goes, No, I'm not. I think that we think that's God. Like, You know, and probably he gets tired of his occasion. God, are you up there? Like, yeah, of course I am. No, God isn't just this cosmic killjoy that wants us to to be miserable in life. No, he has a will for us. And Paul writes in Romans 12 that it's a will that we can test and approve. He says it's a good, pleasing, and perfect will. In fact, I would take it a step further from what Paul is saying here. God's will will always lead to your best life. Now, I'm not talking about great amounts of prosperity here. I know there's books out about living your best life, and that's not what I'm talking about. No, living a life of his will will lead you to fulfillment. We probably all know somebody who has a job that pays six figures, And they've got the perfect house, and they've got all the popularity, and something's missing. Why? Because they're not fulfilled. They're not doing what they were created to do. They're doing what they want to do. And that's what we often run into too many times. I think the people that we see, especially Christians, who are the most conflicted, are those who are trying to live God's will, but they're still doing it on their own terms. Uh, we, you might remember a few months ago, we had the three chairs. That's the second chair person. It's the person who wants to do what God wants, but wants to be in control, wants to drive the bus. And, and you're going to fight with that all the time. Because the more you try to take control and, and, and say, God, you might have something good, but I've got something better. I've got something more fun over here. The more you're just going to drift into a life of sin. And that's where it's difficult because here's the thing about sin sin is fun. I've got some awkward stares right now, but let me just tell you sin is fun. If it's not, you're not doing it the right way, okay? (laughs) Now I've got some very awkward stares and laughs looking back (laughs) in this direction. No, sin is fun in the moment, and then it's not. Then you step back, then you realize what's happened. Then that sin or that, that shame, that, that embarrassment washes in, that brokenness washes in. See, that's the life that I think that we, we assume that if we follow God's will, that there's no fun that's going to be had. But yeah, here's the, 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 uh, the catch to this. I've yet to meet a person who has lived a life and then maybe as an adult gotten baptized gotten involved in the church, gotten plugged in, just jumped in to the deep end with Jesus and said, you know what, my life was amazing, and then I got saved. And it's just been all downhill from there. I've never met anybody who said that. What they are saying instead is, yes, it was a challenge to get bought in, but because I'm bought in, because I'm following God's will, I'm no longer living a life for myself. I'm less likely to drift now. Not to say you won't, but you're just less likely to. His will is good. That doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be challenging. Paul says in Romans 12 that it's good and pleasing and perfect. He never says it would be easy. He, he doesn't say it would be easy. Why? Because it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything that you have to give it all to God and to follow him. But here's the, the, the promise that comes with it. It might not be easy, but it's better than anything you can imagine for yourself. It's better than anything you can come up with on your own. Here's the third foundation about God's will. And this is where we're going to kind of camp out for the rest of this, this sermon. God's will is talked about in three different ways in Scripture. Scripture. And when I say this, I, I, I might misspeak here and say that he has a different kind of will. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. There are different perspectives on his will and how they impact us in our lives. So let's camp out on that just a little bit and look at these three different uh, types or, or angles of God's will. The first is what we're going to call God's providential will. The providential will of God. This is basically God doing things no matter what. God doing things out of your control. God doing things with or without your permission. Some of these are big things. Like when Jesus came and was born, there was nothing anybody could do about that. But yet it impacted everybody. One of these days, Jesus will return to collect his church. That's going to impact everybody, but there's nothing any of us can do to trigger it or to stop it. It's going to happen when God wants it to happen. But we also read about specific examples in the Bible and we know about specific examples in our own lives where God has used one of his people and maybe he's used that person outside of their own will but he's done something through them or to them or in them that they didn't ask for. We read one very early in the Bible with a man named Abram who was 75 years old and God says, hey, guess what? You're going to take everything that you've ever known Go move away from everything you've ever known and, and all of your people, and you're going to go to this new land. I'll tell you about it on the way and start a new people. You're going to start a new nation. Just trust me. Or we read about it thousands of years later with a teenage girl named Mary. When God shows up to her and says, you're going, even though you're a virgin, you're not married, you're going to become pregnant. You're going to give birth to my son. That's, that son's going to save the world. Now, I don't know what would have happened if Abraham or Mary would have said, you know what, God, Thanks, but no thanks. I don't know what would have happened. Maybe he does it anyway. Or maybe, just maybe they already trusted God well enough that God knew they could handle what he was giving them. They trusted him enough to know that God was going to utilize them both for his good. That's a key thing here. The more you trust God, the more you can handle his providential will. When something happens in your life that's outside of your control that is going to impact you but is going to be, or you're going to be used for it. Kind of say it like this. If you don't already know what God is up to, you might miss what God wants for you. That's why it's important to always have the rearview mirror. We can always look back, even if it's hard to look back, even if it's painful at times to look back. If we see where God has brought us, we've got more faith in where God is taking us. Here's the second The second foundation for understanding uh, what Scripture says about his will, the second uh, perspective of it, it's the moral will of God. The moral will of God are the principles he gives you for right or wrong. You may say, well, there's some things I need to pray about. God, lead me in this direction. Yes, you should absolutely pray about the directions where God leads you. But you've heard me say, too, there are some things you don't need to pray about. Like last night, as a family, we were going to dinner. We didn't sit down in our living room before we left and say, okay, let's pray. God, you direct us, where do you want us to eat tonight? Do you want us to go eat at Jose Pepper's? Would you rather us go to Italian? Or God, would you rather us go to barbecue like you normally do? (laughs) No. We don't, I don't mean to say God doesn't care, but God doesn't care. Like he provides food for us, right? I don't think it mattered where we went to eat dinner that night. But there are some things that may be big things that you still don't need to pray about because he's already told you what the answer is. Like you can't sit there and pray, God, you know I have this dispute with my neighbor. If it's your will, I would love to go over and punch him in the face. (laughs) Or God, I know that things economically have not been the best and that things are tight right now. So would you please just show me the right, right way? to go rob this bank so my family can be... No, he doesn't need to tell you to do that or to not because he's already told you we can't do those things. That's kind of what the moral will comes in. There are some things that in his word, he has already shown you the difference in right and wrong. But where it starts to become tricky for us, especially in our culture and our society these last few years, is there is a lot of confusion over what the Bible says versus what our government says. And I'm not picking on any one government. I'm meaning this in general as we have looked back the last few years and as we move forward. The Bible is very clear. First Peter says it, Romans says it, to follow the laws of your government. And in this morning, for example, as we drove here, every single one of us driving here shared one thing in common. We all passed a little white rectangle on the side of the road that told us how fast to drive. And how many of you actually obeyed that law? That's what I thought. (laughs) I obey it at times in my Jeep because that's as fast as my Jeep will go. The only time I break the speed limit is when I'm going downhill with the wind at my back in in the Jeep. But, But, you know, some of you are like, oh, that's just a suggestion. You know, like that's not really what we're supposed to do. No, there's laws that say that. Or there are things like taxes that we have to pay. And you say, well, I don't really like what my taxes go for. Like, well, you're not given that option. We pay them. Actually, they take them. Let's be honest. But there are some laws that may come about that we may have to stop and question. Because when those laws suddenly violate God's word, that's when the moral will of God kicks in. That's when we may be faced at some point, like we talked about a few weeks ago with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we're commanded to do something by the law that goes against God's word. And so you may say, well, the government should follow what God says, so that's what I'm going to do. Make sure you know what God's word says before you say that. Make sure you say it, because here's the truth about God's moral will. His moral will will never contradict his word. His moral will. If you're feeling led in your heart, like, well, this is the right thing to do. Okay, what's the Bible say about it? What's Scripture say? Not what does Kurt say, not what does the church say, No, what does the Bible say. If you've got a question, maybe we can figure it out together. But the Bible is the expert when it comes to figuring out God's moral will. Here's the third angle of his will that we're going to look at. It's his personal will, the personal will of God. This is the one you're probably more interested in. This is the one you probably showed up for and are excited the next few weeks for because this is about the direction that God wants for your life. And this is the one That can be the hardest to figure out and, to be honest, might push some people away at times when things don't go the way they think they should. But we need to remember what God has told us and what's been spoken to us. We read in Proverbs 3 that we're to trust in him and to to not lean on our own understandings. And, in fact, it goes on in Proverbs 3 to say that we should seek his will, his will that, that will lead us in the right direction it says, we seek his will in all that we do, and he'll show us which path to take. That's a verse for me that has been one of those verses I've had my entire life. My mom, as a kid, told it to me all the time. Growing up, she reminded me of it all the time. In high school, you know, going into my senior year, when I was being asked those questions, what's next? Where are you going to go to college? What do you want to major in? That was the verse she just constantly reminded me of all the time, to, to trust in God with all my heart and to seek his will in all that I do. And that has been, let me just be honest, one of the hardest things I have ever had to do. Uh, I haven't shared my whole story with that many of you, but but to kind of give you the condensed version of this, I my whole life wanted to be in broadcasting. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I was never very good at sports. I loved being around them, loved watching them. And so I thought, man, that's what I want to do. I, I loved listening to the radio and and baseball games on the radio when I was a teenager, and that's what I wanted to do, and... and I was, felt like I was good at it. And then I went through all the, the range of, of majors in college, and that's what I settled on when I got to OU and majored in it. We got to broadcast some basketball games, some baseball games on, on student media, and loved it. I thought, man, I, I could do this. And I get out of college, and <clears throat> as I'm graduating, I send resume packets. You had to send a packet with a DVD and a VHS tape and all your paperwork. I send it to probably 30 or 40 TV stations across the country. Never got a call back. Never. And I was like, man, God, why did you, weren't you going to open a door for me here or what? And so me on top of the world thinking that I'm the best at everything, have to come back to my hometown with a college degree in my pocket and went back to live at home. And actually a few months later, I went up living with my grandma, my recently widowed grandma. And like, man, now I'm just working a string of minimum wage part-time jobs just to try and have some spending money. And man, that was a tough cycle. It was a tough spot, and I remember many times just getting so frustrated with God and saying, God, why would you give me this ability and give me this desire to communicate if you're not going to open these doors for me? And I remember I had finally just about given up, decided to move on, and down there in the Joplin and Pittsburgh area, one of the stations had an opening for a sports reporter. I thought, fine, I'll make one more shot at this. So I I redo my, my resume tape, I make it even better, get a new clean looking resume. I take it up there. They say, if you haven't heard back from us in a week, give us a call. A week later is my birthday. Okay. I take it. I drop it off. That week later on my birthday, I call them. I said, yeah, I was just curious. They said, well, we got to be honest. You weren't even one of our top 10 candidates. And before I could stop myself, I said, do 10 people even watch your station? I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. I know you all (laughs) thought that. I know you all thought that about me. I'm not perfect. No. I mean, that was just the biggest gut punch I had ever had in my life. To hear that. You're not even one of our 10 best candidates. I'm thinking, did 10 people even apply for this? Like, like this is a small station. Like, I just want to start. And in that kind of the same time, one of my friends was trying to help me get certified to teach. She goes, You should be a teacher. You'd be good at it. I said, I don't want to be a teacher. I've never wanted, I never I remember what kind of a student I was. I don't want to be a teacher that deal with me 10 years ago. She's like, well, you could do it and figure it out So you figure out what God has in store for you. So I go through all that process, and I, I get certified to teach, and I start applying for jobs all around the area. Had several interviews, and the interviews went well, and then nothing. I was always the runner-up. And I get one more. Uh, this friend of mine, she had just started working at my hometown high school where I had gone. She's like, hey, there's a perfect spot for you. Like, it's computer science. You run the yearbook. Your journalism degree would be perfect for that. And the lady who did that is now the vice principal. Your old baseball coach is the main principal. Like, you'd be a shoe-in. So I go interview. It's me and one other person. And the next day, I get a, coach, uh, a call from Coach Fretwell. He goes, I'm sorry, Kurt. Goes, you didn't get it. He's like, if there's anything I can do, let me know. And I mean, I am, again, I am just, I go from high to low, high to low. The next day, he calls me back. And he's like, the job's yours if you want it. And I remember telling my dad, "It's like, well, I got the job. He goes, what happened? I said, I don't know. And I don't care, but I got the job. And I knew teaching was temporary. Like within a year of teaching, Jennifer and I get married and I start working towards ministry. I just felt that's where God was leading me. I didn't know what that was gonna look like. I'm taking online Bible classes. This was before Ozark had a full program online. And after a few years of taking classes one at a time, I was like, I've gotta quit my job and go full time. Otherwise, this is gonna take me 15 years. And so I do that, I jump in, we've got Elsie at this point, I was 31 years old when I started at Ozark, Uh, in fact, my very first class, my teacher was four months older than me, Uh, he he was just come back to teach at Ozark, he's just a few months older than me, went to college with Jennifer while she was there, Um, I get through Ozark, I send out my resumes, nothing, I'm like, God, why do you keep doing this to me? Why do you keep like leading me down these paths and giving me this training to not open these doors? What do you have in store for me? Where, where's, the, where's the open door? And I went to this residency in Phoenix and, you know, went there for a year and thought, well, this is gonna look great on my resume. I'll make some connections with some big church pastors all across the country. That'll help me open some doors. Nothing, just nothing was open. We come back from Phoenix. We've got two kids. and We move back into my parents' house while I was trying to figure out what God had for me. And I remember Jennifer one day goes, man, you're really bad at finding a job. (laughs) She goes, I've never had a problem finding a job. I'm like, thanks, you know, I needed that right now. And we wound up getting a job in Oregon and moving across the country and while we are out there for a few years, We have Titus, and after COVID, we started feeling the pull to come back home, and I start trying to see what doors will open. And again, several doors opened, and I started to take a few steps, and it's like I was shoved back through it, and they were slammed. And I remember telling Jennifer a couple years ago, God owes me an explanation. And she goes, yeah, good luck with that. And it wasn't until, again, I'm on the verge of saying, God, I'm done. Why would you do this? Why would you give me this ability? Why would you give me this desire? Why would you point me in a direction to just let doors get slammed in my face? And finally, about two years ago this fall, about October or so of 2020, the right person at the right time opened the right door. And here we are. And I can tell you that really for the first time, maybe ever, I'm not obsessed with what's next for me like what the next thing is. I hope this is the next thing for a long time. Now suddenly I can flip the switch and say, okay, God, it makes more sense now. I'm still not happy about it, but it makes more sense. You gave me this ability to be a broadcaster so that I could learn how to communicate. You taught me, or you you had me go be a teacher so I could learn to make a coherent thought from one point to another and not just ramble for an hour. And then you pointed me into a ministry direction. I had some lessons to learn that I couldn't learn otherwise, despite what I told God every night. Like, just tell me the lesson, I'll learn it. Okay, I'm very good at that. Obviously, I wasn't. (laughs) No, God led me to where he wanted me to be. And now as we stand here today, what's next is what we as a church do next. It's where me as a pastor goes next with you as a church here what Crossroads does next, what's in store for us. But here's the thing about God's personal will. You can't find it without knowing that that providential will is there, that things are going to happen outside of your control, and the moral will of what's right and wrong. His personal will is always found between his providential and his moral will. That's where it is. It's always sandwiched in between there. But here's the catch to this. Okay, here's the catch. God's will for your life will be different than what you're expecting. Even if it's in the same general direction, there are going to be differences to it. I had told God from an early age, God, if you want to use me in ministry, I would love to do that. I had no idea what that was going to look like. Like I assumed that would probably be youth ministry or something. I never thought God would use me to stand on a stage and preach every Sunday morning. And then God had me teach high school. I was like, okay, God definitely did not put me to go to youth ministry. (laughs) Like, High school is enough. I taught that for five years. No, it's going to be different. So here's kind of a warning. Here's kind of a, a, a catch, if you want to call it this. But I'm going to say this to you, and this is a blunt truth that I want you to know today, that if you're considering what God has in store for you, do not pray for God's will for your life if you are not prepared to say yes to something you weren't expecting. Don't do it. Because here's the thing. Too many people want to know God's will for their life so they can consider following it. No, he doesn't give you the option to consider it. If you want to know what it is, you're going to follow it. That's how it works. That's not my rule. That's what God has for you. And too often we listen to everybody else out there and we follow their advice, including what might be the worst advice you can possibly get when somebody says, just follow your heart. Folks, that's the worst advice you can get. They mean well, but it's the worst advice you can get because if you're like me, your heart is deceitful, it's corrupted, and it will lead you in the wrong direction, and it will do it gradually. It'll do it so slightly that you don't realize it's done it until it's too late. Your heart wants what's good, but ultimately your heart wants what your heart wants. So unless you're spending time daily, daily, in God's word, praying to God, and spending time with godly people every day. And that's the next three weeks, by the way. We're going to break each one of those down. How to use God's word in finding his will. How to pray to find God's will. And how to spend time with godly people, especially godly mentors, to find God's word. Your heart is going to lead you in the wrong direction, but doing those three things will help your head focus in the right direction and teach your heart to follow your head. See, here's the, the truth of the matter. God is always speaking to us. It's just a matter of if we're paying attention. No, he may not audibly talk in your ear. I've never again had that burning bush moment, but he's talking. And too many times we think God's silent. But the truth is that the issue isn't that God doesn't speak. It's that we won't listen or that we don't know how to listen. The next three weeks, we're going to teach you how to listen and how to see and how to watch. But too often, we're too much like my middle child. Love her to death. She's one of the sweetest children on the planet. She does not listen to anything. And it's not that she's just choosing to ignore. It's that you will tell her, Amelie, would you go upstairs upstairs? and tell your brother it's time for dinner. And between where I tell her and up the stairs, she forgets why she was going up there and she gets distracted and we will find her in her room playing or reading or doing something else. Like that's just Amelie. And we are the same way. God will tell us something and five steps later we've forgotten that we ever even had a conversation with him. No, we need to listen and we need to pay attention. And we need to do what we're told in Proverbs 3 to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to not depend on your own understanding. My goodness, that is me. To not depend on my own understanding, to seek his will in all that we do and he'll show us which path to take. The takeaway today is a little bit different. It's a prayer. But I'm gonna give it to you on one condition that I don't want you to pray this prayer unless you mean it. And unless you're willing to do what God answers in the prayer. Ready for it? Here's the the prayer I want you to pray. It's a question I want you to ask God. God, I trust your will is good. Will you reveal it to me? Because here's the catch. I only want you to pray that prayer if you'll give this answer or this follow-up question. Whatever it is, I will follow. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have a plan for our lives We're so grateful that you have something in store for us that is better than we could come up with on our own. A good, perfect, and pleasing will that you put in place before you created us in our mother's wombs. So God, I just pray today that you would reveal that to us in a way that we can see it. But God, because we open our ears and our eyes to you only, we would find it. That we wouldn't try to control it on our own that we would be receptive to what you have but God more than anything we would submit and surrender to it. God if anybody today is struggling to figure out what you have for them speak into their hearts give them patience number one give them trust number two and understanding number three that you're in control and God help them to understand what that is help them to find the ways as we're going to talk in these next few weeks to listen and to see and to hear from you. God, we're so grateful for you. We pray this in your name. Amen.